I see we're both wearing hats. We are. Did you know, uh, did I tell you I lost a bet this weekend? Ooh. Yeah. What happened? Well, anytime you walk into sports clips, you're participating in a game of chance. (laughs) (laughs) And I lost. Welcome to Deutero Cannons. I'm Byron, and with me as always is Justin. Party on, Justin. Party on, Byron. And this is episode 27. This is actually going to be the first installment of the Deutero Cannons Remastered series. Now, I say series, I don't think they're going to come sequentially, but uh, what we're we're going to do here is, so, I mean, shoot, we've been, uh, you and I have been kind of taking turns with other people preaching here for how long now i mean you going way back probably 10 years 10 years yeah and i've you know since 2000 maybe 13 i don't know when i first got to start preaching either way um even prior to the <coughs> advent of covid i i would typically record my messages you know that and that doesn't even matter because i'm sure like me you probably still have outlines and stuff laying around and so i think there's probably some good quality things that uh we have discussed or talked or preached on in the past that you know we could hit again um and so we're calling it dc remastered kind of like uh like mxpx recently released <laughs> released their uh life in general remastered a couple years back so i noticed that have you listened to it i have is it good it's pretty good yep actually slick shoes did one too <laughs> they, they released a, a remastered version of uh man which one is it i think it's the one with uh a whole album or just a song? I think it's a whole album. Rusty? Maybe. Burnout? I think it's Burnout. Burnout. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. That was their, that was their uh, third album, if you don't include the original EP. Yeah. So this is going to be Deuterocana's Remastered. And so, uh, of course, before we get to that, uh, whatever platform you're listening to this on, like, share, subscribe, comment, all of the things. But, you know... I don't know. Like, There's one thing better than that. There is one thing better. Just tell a friend. Or two. Or three. Sh- take take this podcast and share it with them. Like When I say share, not like hit share on the internet. Like Send them the link to it and so that they might also listen to it. Because uh, that would be cool, I guess, I think. Yeah, or if you're with a friend and you're talking about things that you enjoy, if you happen to enjoy this, <clears throat> just pull up your... Whatever the app is or site is that you use, there are a few of them. Yeah. You could show it to your friend. Yep. And say, hey, this is Deuterocanons. Mm-hmm. And it might be good to actually show the person because Deuterocanons is admittedly a strange name. But there was a good reason to come up with a strange name since the original name that we had was taken. Yeah. It's like Anyway. Naming, it's like naming a band. It's exactly like naming a band. I've named a band several times and so if you have let's say somebody riding with you in a car they're your prisoner so make them listen (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna we're gonna spread this message by the sword (laughs) (laughs) uh and so i guess the last thing is you might be thinking where have you guys been maybe if if you're a regular listener and you care that much uh so last week we were um weren't able to, to record an episode because uh we, my family, was moving, which generally involves most of the congregation. So uh, 
weren't able to make that happen, but here we are. We are back. And so this week, we're going for Judah Rocanon's the first installment of Remastered. We're going to revisit a sermon that I did a couple weeks back, actually about a month or two back. Um, and so it is on Facebook. Like, the audio on it was terrible. And, uh, and so... It's a good I, reason to remaster it. Right. Exactly. But then also, um, you know, things in sermon form, I think we can, we can dig into a little bit more in, in, in a conversational form. And, you know, and I, I'm kind of thinking, like, things you've preached on in the past, I've chewed on and thought about, and, and I'm assuming you do the same. And so we can I maybe do. reveal some things that I was un, unable to maybe get to in the 40 mm-hmm. minutes that I stood up there and ran my mouth. So here we go. So before we do that, though, so we're talk about the wheat and the weeds. Let me preface it with this. Um, kind of what we're here to do, and we've talked a lot about false teachings before, um, and I'm not going to get into a lot of detail on that, but it's something that we have kind of sounded the alarm on in the past, and there are other stations and podcasts that, that are doing the same thing. Um, and, you know, I think part of the reason, at least for me personally, and I think you would agree, <clears throat> that it's always it's on my mind pretty constantly because, you know, we both work with the young people here uh, regularly and or on occasion and so uh, <clears throat> I'd talked before about how 66% of the kids leave the church after high school. And so uh, there's a, a Lifeway article. They talk about how that's happening because of change in life circumstances, colleges, jobs, and all that. And so it's almost as if, like, we're not training them up in the way that they should go. They're going to depart from it. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think so, – so there's that. We need to train them up in the way that they should go and not part from it. But then there's also this this – there's just something about that stage of life where it seems like there's a lot of people ready to pounce. Although that's kind of changing because we're seeing a lot of this stuff creep into like elementary education as well. And preschool education. And so uh, I found another article. It says five reasons kids are leaving the church. And the first one is we're not helping them find answers to the hard questions. And so um, I think that's like my biggest concern with false teachings is that um, these false teachers is that uh, we're not helping them find the answers to hard questions, and there's plenty of people out there in the secular world that are perfectly willing to uh, give them an answer, maybe not the right answer, but an answer. And so we're going to talk about this parable. If you're familiar with it, you know that it has to do with false teaching. But it's also um, a, like a farming uh, analogy. And so I thought we could start off by, as two non-farmers who live in rural Kentucky— <laughs> in the farmland talk about kind of what have we learned about farming out here that maybe the average Deuteros cannons listener maybe doesn't know. Although maybe them, many of them are from around here. I, I don't, I would assume probably we don't know a lot about our demographics. Yeah. So what do you, what do you, what are some, what is your understanding of how farming works around here just in general? Well, it depends on what kind of farming you're talking about. So there's uh, produce on the one hand, things that are, produced expressly for immediate human consumption Mm -hmm. vegetables fruits things of that nature those tend to be more labor intensive and fewer acres grown and then you have what what they call around here row cropping which when you're out on the interstate and you see you know just expansive fields planted with something that's usually what it is and the three main crops around here that are that are row cropped, you know, large scale farming, are corn, soybeans, and wheat mm-hmm. in a particular rotation. Right. Uh, 
a couple of other kinds. Uh, there's dairy farming, which of course is a little bit different than produce. Uh, there's cattle farming and then tobacco farming, which isn't produce and it's not row crop. It is for human consumption. In a sense. yeah. In a, in a sense. I mean, right. it's something that's consumed by humans. It's enormously labor intensive and so fewer acres of it are are grown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the large row cropping involves very large machines, oftentimes that are partially or totally driven by GPS. Yeah. So... Yeah, I, I remember when I first moved here, I, you know, I, I knew nothing of farming other than <clears throat> my grandparents back home had a blueberry farm. And so I worked on the back of the picker one summer. But, you know, so I was just asking, so so kind of like, what's it like to be a farmer, you know? And, and I will say this, uh, you know, I've deployed some to some areas that were very agrarian. And it was probably farming in the way most people, most lay people would think of it. Like literally people out in the field with a hoe. Mm-hmm. you know, using hand tools. And uh, there's some places where they, they do have large machinery for, for farming, but you can tell typically, and this isn't uncommon here, I don't think, like they, they share equipment. So I know like in my grandfather's blueberry farm, he shared a picker with another farm, right? Yeah. Um, But of course here it's very much like large scale and, and people own several pieces, several large pieces of equipment. And uh, like you said, it's like GPS guided. You're riding around an air conditioned cab, cab, and it's not not to say that it isn't without its difficulty, but it's not at the same time wasn't really what I thought. But it is it is interesting too as as we go on you and you learn about you know when the wheat's got to when the wheat's got to get planted and when it comes in and when corn harvest time is and when soybeans and well and in between point A being planting and point B being harvest, there, there's there's all sorts of things in the middle, and there's a whole lot that goes into soil preparation. Yeah. You know, like they pull soil samples, which th- they literally go out. Um, yep. And like with a a uh, this apparatus, this little device, you plunge it way down in the soil, you pull it out, and you have, you know, like this this little soil sample. But, yep. but you have to do it like every, like, I don't know, every so many yeah. feet or yards <laughs> or something across all of the land that you mm-hmm. happen to farm. Right. So it, it is still labor intensive, and th- there there's a whole lot more that goes into farming than most city people, town people recognize, unless they're somehow directly well tied to it. There's no such thing. Well, I don't know if there's no such thing, but like the common assumption that or a stereotype that farmers are farmers because they're too dumb to do anything else yeah. is beyond absurd well in the upkeep of some of the equipment they have particularly with uh as much of it is computerized now so that on the one hand but then also man like it's it's this high-tech piece of equipment but you're still running it through the dirt so it still has to be cleaned off and and lubed and maintained and you're putting a lot of hours on those machines <clears throat> but uh and the thing is despite all that there is also still uh mother nature you know like this year the wheat crop uh a lot of it was laying down, and I think that had something to do with you, you. You might need to tell people what you mean by the wheat crop is laying down. <clears throat> yeah, so literally, you know, you, you think about the interesting thing about this part of the country is when you think about the amber waves of grain in the you know in the song, like this is where that is, you know. Mm-hmm. And so when you have a proper wheat field, you're driving by and all those stalks are standing upright and it's blowing in the wind and it's a beautiful sight to behold. But this year, I don't recall what they said. Well, 
what folks were saying the reason was. I don't know if it was because the, there was a storm. Well, it was the wind, but the stock wasn't as strong as it should have been because it sprouted too early. Okay. Or something like that. Yeah. Because, you know, when they plant the wheat, it's got to get to a certain height before the first frost because it's winter wheat. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, once it thaws, it, it continues to grow. And so either way, a strong storm came through and knocked a lot of it over. Right. Just very soon before harvest. Right. And so you have these mature, I guess, you know, it's ba- it's a grass. Wheat is a grass. So you have these this mature, long piece of grass laying over on its side on the ground. And these huge, it would be these huge matted areas where it's all laying down. And, of course, that really complicates the harvest because as they drive through there with the combine where they could literally usually have, and folks need to understand, like, a combine, it's really, it's like, it's like a, a giant lawnmower, you know? It's like a cross between a comb and a lawnmower. Right. Uh, it's almost actually. It's probably. It's like a large, uh, like beard trimmer. Is there what, it is. There That's it, what a common I mean? is. Yeah. And so, if the weed is standing up straight like it's supposed to, that that whole thing's a lot easier because they can keep the blade up higher off the ground. Whereas when it's laying down, it's just really slow because they're literally just just barely above ground level trying to get every piece of wheat that they can. And as much as that complicates the harvest. <clears throat> More so it complicated the planting of soybeans. Right, because you have all those stalks laying on the ground. Right, so I mentioned that there's a rotation. Mm-hmm. So soybeans are planted like right on top of... Correct. Well, it's it's drilled. They So they don't... Also, people usually think that like farmers are constantly plowing, mm-hmm. but that's not really how, how row cropping is done yeah. anymore. They try to disturb the soil as little as possible. Right. Well, and, and that's the other thing is like it used to be... Uh, with the corn harvest, they would go back through and remove all the stalks. But it's like you said, now they'll, they'll just leave leave what's out there. Like whatever doesn't get picked up just stays out there because that there's like nutrients that get back into the soil that way, if I'm mm-hmm. not understanding it correctly. Right. But uh, where was I going with that? So, so the point being is like despite all the technology, Mother Nature still has a vote and can still ruin everything. And it can cost a whole lot of money, time, and effort. You know, it can be wasted. Um so the other thing I want to mention, though, too, and I, I'd mentioned this in the sermon, <clears throat> I'd never it never occurred to me um, until we moved here how unique it was to see other crops. And so one time when I was a kid, we were driving around. Um, I'm from Michigan, so I'm driving around Michigan, and my dad literally pulls the car over and gets out, and he's like, "Is that barley? This is barley." He walks over there, and he's looking at the barley, and I'm just a little kid going like, "Big deal," <laughs> you know. <laughs> But now, of course, living here, it's like I, I do the same thing. Like when I come across a field, like a tobacco field, it's like, oh, something besides wheat and soybeans and corn. Like this is cool. And I was telling like my my kids are even will even say now. I was like, stop looking at the tobacco because I'll be driving along looking at it. It's like I just it's cool. It's a cool looking plant, you know, and it's something yeah, other they've than, started cutting this week. Some people started cutting last week. But <clears throat> right. Yeah. The So the cutting is commenced. Well, and that's something like <clears throat> if we ever had to move away from here, I would always remember about it is when they start smoking the tobacco and you see, you know, the, you know, the first time anybody sees a tobacco barn, they think there's a fire, right? But, uh, yeah, for those of you keeping score at home, when tobacco is harvested, the, I mean, it, it's a, it's a tall stuff. Well, maybe waist high or so stalk with leaves coming off of it, like large dark green leaves that kind of flop out from the stalk. And so they go through we're talking with like a, paper plate size or bigger. Some of these leaves too, right? Well, I mean, we're talking very large leaves. Yeah, yeah. So 
they they cut the stalk down at the base and they they'll go through like a whole <clears throat> row which is you know anywhere from maybe 100 yards to mm-hmm. a couple hundred yards yeah. i guess typically and so all the plants are you know laying over and then they come through and pick them up and they put them on a thing called a tobacco stick using a, a little tool called a spike mm-hmm. so they they ta- they put the spike on top of the tobacco stick and they they jam the the plant on that and, and the spike splits the stalk and so uh several tobacco plants are able to be on that one tobacco stick and then they hang it up on on these uh like a special kind of cart. trailer yeah yeah or or cart they could they could lay mm-hmm. it lay it on a cart but usually they 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 put it on a they call it a frame right trailer and they take it to a barn some varieties are hung up in a barn and just like it's air cured by the air mm-hmm. so it like the leaf dries out but then other kinds is called a uh, fired tobacco and they actually build like a a smother a, a smoldering fire down in the floor of it and and the uh the heat causes the the tobacco leaf to dry out and so that's that's what you're re- referring to like smoking the tobacco that doesn't mean like yeah. you you like grab some leaves out of the start smoking them right yeah. no that it's it's the, the the curing process to to preserve the leaf and so anyway and, you were talking about and so these, what that smells like right and those tobacco barns so these these large barns with uh huge, large vents in the tops and you'll see the smoke rolling out the top of it and and it, it smells I mean, it smells kind of like when somebody's burning leaves in the fall, I guess, would be probably the closest thing. Oh, it smells way better than that. Yeah. And so anytime we see it, like, we'll roll down the window and just, you know. Right, because I think that they use oak. I think you're right. I'm pretty sure, yeah, it's, yep. it's uh, like thin oak slabs that they use for those fires. Yeah. And so the it's kind of a combination of the, the smell of of that oak fire and and the leaf Which itself. they can probably probably get from old tobacco barns because i think a lot of them are made of old oak probably they they are typically though it's uh when 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 oak is milled Mm -hmm. there's uh you know they only use a certain part of the tree yeah kind of the 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 middle part and so the like the outsides from from the milling process yeah that's what gets turned into slabs okay so it's a lot fresher so that was good. So that was a lot of talk about farming. So there's a lot of, yeah. So there's a lot of farming here from a so, couple of very lay individuals. Right. Well, and so that's why I was so excited about preaching this sermon because this message that we're going to talk about, we're going to be in Matthew 13, by the way. Let me start turning over there. So this message I'm preaching, you know, I, I mean, I don't know. I assume people listen when I'm talking up there, but I thought like, man, I, w- I was listening. <laughs> Well, thank you. <laughs> but I figured, like, if there is if there's a message that will speak to this congregation, it will be this one, because it was about wheat and weeds, and so uh, yeah, and and so I was really excited about that. But then when the audio quality, I mean, obviously the people who are sitting there heard it just fine, but the audio quality was terrible, and so you know I don't know if folks at home were able to kind of tolerate that enough. Um, so. Man, I, I I don't know. You tell me, by the way, because I don't know if you recall when I did this. We read three through nine, but we're not talking about three through nine. We're actually be talking about eighteen through twenty-three. Do we want to read three through nine? Because that's the parable of the sower. Yeah, I mean, I I think that we we should. I think it's good to okay back up to that point. Let's uh let's read three, to do that? three through nine. Yeah, go ahead. And then he told them many things in parables, saying, "A farmer went out to sow his seed." 
As he was scattering the seeds, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom has been given to you, but not to them. Okay. And so we can go on and read that further, and, and, and Jesus kind of interprets that for everyone. <clears throat> and so there's probably a lot of good lessons that we can pull from that one, but it's actually not what we're here to talk about. Um, so I don't know. I'll, I'll give you, like, you have any comments on that one? Or are we ready to move on? Uh, I mean, I, I have several comments, but I, I don't know if it's directly related. So maybe we should go ahead and, and read the, the next scripture, and maybe there, there will be some... right tie-in but I, I did some lessons last summer on parables just what they are and how we should understand them yeah but that's okay to, to go a different direction okay so we're gonna read the parable of the weeds so that starts in 24 actually um yeah 24 and i guess i'll read that one so that's gonna be 24 through what's that 29 yeah 30 mm-hmm. okay oh sorry can i make one comment yes oh, man that was not very nice of me I think it's easy to think that Jesus always and everywhere expected people to understand him Mm -hmm. or that everyone had an equal ability to understand him, but that doesn't seem to be the case from what he said. Right. It seems like the parables really were for those who had ears to hear. Yeah. So that's just something to keep in mind as we keep going. Well, and I always kind of wonder because I, you know, I, I have experiences similar to this in my job, especially as, you know, you're put in charge of larger and larger groups of people. At some point, it's like, man, I can't get into the details of every little thing I want to talk about. So, what are some higher concepts I can use to maybe get some wheels spinning and hope that they will do the work themselves? And so, I wonder if there's any of that element. Because, I mean, we, and I feel like I've beat, we, I specifically have beaten this horse to death where it's like, it says to love the Lord with your mind. It's not just a feeling like you need to do some intellectual work, Mm -hmm. you know? I think that's what Jesus was expecting from his disciples. Like, when he says seek, like, he's not saying, like, literally, like, like, (laughs) at least, especially for us, like, you're not literally looking for him. So what does seeking mean? Right. I mean, I think at least some of it means like study. What we have several times in the Gospels are examples of Jesus telling a parable and people being confused and the disciples being confused too. Yeah. But they would come later to ask him what it meant, and he was always straight with them. Yeah. And he didn't rebuke them for not... Well, sometimes he, he would a little bit, but he he would still... He would tell them, it seems like, hmm. it seems like what the parables did is that they, they really did kind of s- separate the wheat from the chaff and what was characteristic, like w- what separated people. So what that means, like he who has ears, okay, w- what does that look like? How, uh, like 
on the ground in action, what does it mean to have ears to hear? Well, when you hear something, do you immediately write it off or do you go find out what that was? Go find out what it means. Yeah. And that's the difference between Jesus' disciples and other people. <laughs> that's good. That's like that's like like being a dad, right? Like you're driving a car and you're like, Why is it making that noise? And pull over. <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, you know, and, and I, can we can we assume that if Jesus told a parable and somebody other than the disciples came up to him and was like, "Hey, can you can you expound upon that point a little bit?" Like, I feel like he'd probably eat that up. And that also is probably what would make that person a disciple, right? You know, it's that it's that step from, oh, I'm just here to hear, that, here, here here to hear a good sermon, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Some people were probably. You know, they they'd gather around Jesus. They'd hear what he have to say, and then you know they'd be out the door as ASAP as possible. They're, they're like, uh, I was told there'd be fish and bread, <laughs> <laughs> sir. Give us this bread always. <laughs> That's sort of a quote. Oh, I see. He just wants to talk this time. <clears throat> All right, we're ready. We're ready. Parable of the weeds. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Okay. So we talked about farming. And I alluded to this point before. Uh, I want to talk about false teachings and and false teachers. and And we've done that several times in the past. Um, and you know, I've made the point, like, I don't, I I feel like there's folks out there who don't understand what's going on because up until recently I didn't, because I always knew that there were these other, uh, denominations, you know, the Baptists, the Methodists, the Presbyterians, pretty much all the people were trying to beat the jalapeno grill after church (laughs) on Sunday. Right. And it's like, we know where we agree and we know where we disagree, but then there's some core things that we all agree on, you know? And so it's like, Mm -hmm. those aren't the people I'm talking about. And so again, it's these the the progressive Christian movement that's going on right now, and so I'm going to kind of intentionally again not talk about that in too much detail because we've done that before. Uh, I w- I would hope people would do some of the research on their own. But when I heard, th- you know, after learning about that a little bit and then listening to again Alyssa Childers reading her book and then reading this parable, kind of had a little bit of a, a revelation that I hadn't had before uh, when reading this parable. Parable, and so. Um, Right, so the weeds. Um, I don't know about you. Maybe, again, maybe this is just me. <clears throat> when I read about or read about the weed thing before, again, as a lay person in the past, I always thought like a dandelion or something that was real obviously a weed. Yeah, that's you know? easy to think. And so, only recently have I realized that. Um, I guess I'll say, yeah. Oh, recently I realized that that's that's not what they're talking about. It's not something something real obvious. 
And so, uh, let me let me hold on. Let me catch myself up here. Okay. Um, you know, what we didn't talk about was Roundup Ready crops. That's another thing okay. around here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about weeds then. And so, yeah. So again, we got these three crops out here of corn, soybeans, and wheat. And so something I was familiar with was the idea of, of Roundup Ready crops. Um, and so, so for those of you play, keeping score at home, that's keep, it. Keeping score at home. So Roundup Ready crops. <clears throat> so in the past, when dealing with weeds, apparently a lot of what you would have to do is you'd have to till, you know, basically break break them up. And so what they did is they developed crops that were resistant to Roundup. And so you could spray an entire field and the crops wouldn't die, but all the things that weren't your crops would. Now, <clears throat> I knew corn was Roundup Ready. I wasn't sure about um, soybeans and wheat. Soybeans, yes. Wheat, no. Right. So soybeans are Roundup Ready, but wheat's, wheat is not. And so when I think about They're Wound this, Up Ready. Wound Up Ready. <laughs> <laughs> so when, when reading about this parable, I, immediately I'm going like, okay, wheat, weeds. Okay, so if wheat isn't Roundup Ready, then like, how do they, how do they deal with that? And so... Uh, for those of you keeping score at home, we have a uh, <laughs> one of our members here. His name's uh, Galloway, and he owns one of the larger farms. And so I tried to call him, and he didn't answer. I think I might have sent him a text too. I mean, he's he's a little older than we are, and so I I assume like he probably doesn't have his phone on him as as much as we millennials do. Although I don't identify as one, nor do I. Right, and so uh, it occurred to me his sister Ginger might actually also know because it uh she actually went to school for agriculture and so i called her which is actually probably better because i got the same information if not more but in like a third of the time you know <laughs> <laughs> because she was just going a thousand miles an hour did you take shorthand <laughs> did i have a choice <laughs> you know i mean you recently got a promotion why didn't you just put it on speaker and have your secretary just like stenographer? It? I don't have a secretary. Do you Come have on. a stenographer? I don't have a stenographer. What's the military come to? Oh, I don't know. And so, so I was talking to her and so it was so interesting. Like I just let her go and, and, and it was like, she's just dropping all these wisdom bombs on me, you know? <laughs> and so I'm like, Oh, this is great. Oh, this is going to be such a good sermon. And so, uh, like I said, so in the past I've read this before, and, and, and again, I'm, I'm thinking dandelions. And so we start talking about that. And so one of the things that occurred to me too, is it's like, well, what's a weed, right? Because I mean, you have things that are just very obviously a weed, like that are probably of no benefit to any of us. But then you also have a weed could also be a plant that is okay. You just don't want it growing where it's growing. So corn in a wheat field, like if you see a, I don't know, two, three, stalks of corn that have sprouted up along with the weed mm -hmm. the corn is a weed right well it's like right now with all, all the soybeans coming in you'll see a lot of that right now where there's uh corn so volunteers for those who are keeping score at home a volunteer is a like leftover seed that sprouts in a in a field that's no longer for that plant is that a good way to describe it yeah and so you'll see these corn plants coming up in the middle of the soybeans and so because because the corn is in the soybean field, it is a weed. And, and so Ginger had even mentioned that too. She's like, you know, I, I took a test in school and one of the questions was, is a corn plant a weed? And she's like, and my daddy said, if it's in the wrong place, it's a weed. 
And so she'd be, you know, they'd be driving along on the Polaris or in a truck or whatever. And he'd stop the car and be like, run out there and pull that corn plant, you know? <laughs> and so there is that. Um, but then the other thing is this too, right? Cause like even things that we traditionally think of it as weeds, um, again, it's, you know, I guess for us lay people like dandelions, a dandelion's a weed if it's in your yard, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I guess what I'm saying is you can't necessarily say a weed is something that isn't useful because it might be something that has its purpose, you know? Right. I mean, like, you could eat dandelion greens. You can. Actually, I think you can eat the whole plant, you know? You can make a really strange tea out of its roots. Yeah. It's and called so, Dandy Blend. I can't wholly recommend it, but right. my wife loves it. Right. So, So I'm letting her go on, and so pretty quick it's like okay so uh we're not talking about dandelions though right because um in this passage you'll see like i have a note in mine it says uh where is it here there it is weeds probably darnell which looks very much like wheat while it is young but can later be distinguished this parable is not referred to unbelievers in the professing church the field is in the world blah blah, blah. okay so so what this parable is more than likely referring to is this plant called Darnell. And we're going to come back to that because I'm letting Ginger talk and she starts talking about rye in the wheat field. Yeah. And so uh, she's like around here, the main weed, weed we deal with uh, when it comes to wheat is rye. And uh, like, what, what, what was she saying? She's like, so rye is an issue because so like there's there's there are good uses of rye, but then what rye is also a problem. The main problem is that because uh, until it's until the very end of the plant's life, it looks a lot like wheat, mm-hmm. and there and it's a weed because now it's in your wheat field and you don't want rye in your wheat field because you're harvesting wheat, you're like you're selling wheat, and so and, and what we're talking about around here though is like it's cereal rye, so it's rye that actually has some utility. In fact, they'll use it around here as they call it a cover crop, I believe, to like yeah. maintain a field if, if you're not using it otherwise. Like over the winter. Right. Because you don't want to have the soil just bare. And so it's it's a nightmare when it's in your wheat field. And so she says, she was telling me how like at one point her dad had her out in the field as a kid walking around picking rye out of the wheat, you know? And so uh, she even mentioned that like again, it's so much of an issue that, like I mentioned before, they'll they'll share equipment around here. If you're gonna borrow a combine from somebody else and you know that it's been using a, a to harvest in a field that has rye in it, like you don't bo- you don't borrow that combine because yeah. as you're harvesting, as you're harvesting wheat and rye, you're essentially sowing it out the backside. You know. Yep. And so. uh in the very in the end, the, the best thing that she said in this conversation. So she's like, and so my daddy's got me out there walking through this field, and you know I'm picking all these 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 rye, you know, pieces of rye out of this wheat field. She's like, I'm, she's like, I'm telling you, rye is the devil. I'm like, <laughs> oh man, ding 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 ding. Like that's the whole point. Like rye is the devil. I've been talking a lot. You got something to say? You feel like you're trying to jump in? No, no, no. Okay. I mean, I have things to say, but you're saying good things. Oh, okay. And so, man, so we kind of go back to the way this works. Like I said, so they have winter wheat around here. Um, are you familiar with how that works? They plant it after corn? 
Yeah. Like October, November time frame. Is that is that right? Yeah. I, yeah I, okay, yeah, because oh man, th- this is terrible that that I don't have this rotation memorized because I've been here long enough to to know better. So, let's see. Well, I know uh like out in front of Winston's house last year there was corn and this year there was wheat now soybean. Mm-hmm. So, I okay, think that might Okay, yeah, okay. I yeah, I actually do know because uh the place speaking of moving we're, hopefully, Lord willing, we'll be moving soon. And I know that there were soybeans last summer and fall where where we are. And then it was left fallow. It means nothing was planted in it. Mm-hmm. After the soybeans, like through the winter, and then corn was planted. So after the corn is harvested, yeah. winter wheat will be planted. So it's planted in, say, like October, November. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, early November. If if you don't get it in, I guess probably like first week of November or something. Mm-hmm. It's 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 kind of too late. Like it won't sprout before right. it gets too cold. But yeah, so it's winter wheat because it grows throughout the winter. It's a beautiful crop. Yeah, because I mean, it's great in the winter to look out and actually see something green. Yeah. So so here's where I'm going with this, right? So let's think of this parable not the way, you know, Byron from ten years ago would have thought, where it's wheat field with obvious dandelions in it right so it's october november time frame we roll out there let's say modern times we spray the field with roundup so we kill everything that's there and then we go out and we and we sow our wheat and then at night an enemy of ours comes out with their gps guided uh planter and plants rye behind us you can tell you can can you tell rye from wheat before it goes dormant for the winter? I don't I don't think you can. And so then spring rolls around, and things start sprouting. And we're getting on towards harvest time, and now it's like, oh no. There's rye in the wheat, right? And even if you could tell, I mean, th- think about, like even in a five acre field, if there's like if you have to pick every individual strand of rye yeah it's it's just an impossible task but it's not because it's impossible impossible that it's so the in the parable the servants offer Mm -hmm. to do it it's like okay boss you you want us to go pull the rye out i mean you're the boss we'll we'll do it yeah and the master says no because in the process of pulling it up so apparently it, it seems like they can probably recognize it somehow or like the trained eye can, at a certain point at least, tell the difference. Yeah. And the task is also apparently doable, however um, difficult, uh, time-consuming. Yeah. What, what's what's the right word for it? tedious? Mm-hmm. You know, exponentially tedious. But the reason that the master gives for not going through with that and pulling pulling the the uh, the weeds out is that it will that there will be blowback mm-hmm. there will be unintended consequences yeah and the unintended consequences is that as you're pulling that weed out by the roots you're going to uproot the weed with it so and that's interesting because typically again weeds as we know them so like uh dandelions or uh you know uh i'm trying to think of another weed good grief 
but Johnson grass. Sure, Johnson grass. Like, but, well, that one might be a little bit of a problem. Well, you'll see it on the edges of fields, but you know, the reason you don't see a big green something growing up in the middle of a wheat field is because it's a grass. It's so uh, tight, dense. Yeah, it's so dense. And so, to your point, if you've got weed and rye intermixed, like you're not pulling up one without pulling the other. Right. You know. Um, and so again, it's just such an appropriate analogy that we pro- we don't appreciate uh, as folks who have no idea where our food comes from. We just go buy a loaf of bread from the store, or we go buy a bag of flour from the store. You know. And so I guess maybe to continue to belabor the point again. So when I'm talking about false teachers here, like I'm not talking about like something real obvious. Like I'm not talking about atheists. I'm not talking about uh, you know maybe people of other denominations that we disagree with. I'm talking about again these progressives or Christians progressive Christians, because again, these are people who claim to follow God. They believe in a God. They meet regularly in a place called church. Uh, and in a casual a- interaction, you might think that you're among your own, but then they, these same people, as you begin to talk to them, will con- they'll question the inerrancy of the Bible. They think it's merely a book of wisdom or allegory. It's inspired by like, <laughs> it's inspired, but by, by like their definition of the word. And they consider them, they consider themselves things like hopeful agnostics they consider Jesus' sacrifice a form of cosmic child abuse. They believe same-sex and polyamorous relationships produce fruit and are affirmed by the teachings of Jesus. And, and a lot of them, like I said at the beginning, when we talk about these kids leaving the church, were at one point strong Christians, even Christian artists, because that's where you're seeing a lot of this right now. But someone pulled a th- thread on the sweater, this analogy I've heard several times now, and the thing just unravels. And so... I feel like this is something like people might experience in their individual lives, but as the church, the the big, the, you know, capital C church, like the whole church, like we've, we've got, we've got rye growing up in our wheat right now, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so, but like I said before, we're kind of talking about cereal rye, uh, and here it mentions Darnell. And so I wanted to kind of expound upon that a little bit. Do you have any, do you have any, uh, are you familiar with Darnell? Only because of your sermon. Okay. Well, why don't you, why don't you, why don't you say what you remembered so I talk a little less. Oh, man. <laughs> Is that not helpful? It looks a lot like rye. Yeah. <clears throat> Is it actually poisonous? Yeah. So it's in the rye family. Uh, you'll also hear it referred to as teres or tares. Tares. T-A-R-E-S. Yeah. Right. Um, says uh, teres. Separate the wheat from the tares. Right. Yeah, that that's how that's how it comes through in some translations. It says Darnell is a weed grass, probably a bearded Darnell or Lolium temulentum that looks very much like wheat until it matures. And so I mean the big takeaway here is like Whoa, okay. It looks very much like wheat until it matures. Okay, just we oh. need we need to hold on oh, to yeah, that. Yeah. Okay, we need go. to hold on to keep going. Okay. But. And so uh I guess the big takeaway though is like you said, the difference between this and a cereal rye, because again, people have had rye bread uh how else is rye used uh to make potent potables yeah right so like there are consumable i guess you can say well relatively harmless uses of of cereal rye uh whereas this one bearded darnell it, it sounds like there's really nothing good about it um so let me read <coughs> some of this because there's this thing called um where is it i wrote it down Oh, did you mention where it grows typically? The bearded Darnell? Uh, no. Palestine, right? 
I think so. Yeah, probably. I, I don't know. There might be some that grow here, though. Who right, knows? but I think that, that that's the more specific tie-in that, that yeah. you gave is that so when we think about what weed was Jesus likely talking about, Right. it's probably like this Darnell geezer. Uh, and so, so uh, where does it? Okay, ryegrass toxicity, that's what it was. Let me get to that real quick. So um, let me read this, this quote in here, and this is quoting a quote. Uh, it says, The admixture of the grain with, with those of the nutritious materials amongst which it is often found growing should be guarded against, as its properties are generally regarded as deleterious. Gerard tells us, The new bread wherein Darnell is eaten, hot, uh, eaten hot, causeth drunkenness. Mm. Um, when Darnell has been given medicinally in a harmful quantity, it is recorded to have produced all the symptoms of drunkenness, a general trembling, followed by an inability to walk, hindered speech, and vomiting. For this reason, the French called Darnell uh, Ivray. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. It's French. Who cares? <laughs> the word Darnell is itself a French origin. Okay, so... Uh, Darnell. So the symptoms... Um, sorry. Interesting fact. Farmers in the modern wheat belt of America have taken measures to control the effects of tares. In this case, lolium rigidum, so that's a different one, on their cattle due to bacteria uh, because it causes annual ryegrass toxicity. Um, in, in a 30-year study, 250,000 sheep and 600 cattle died because of annual ryegrass toxicity. Oh, that's bad. Yep. Recapping the symptoms, sleepiness, drowsiness, <coughs> hypnotic episodes, convulsions, drunkenness, intoxication, trembling, inability to walk, hindered, vomiting, <laughs> hindered speech, vomiting, stupefaction, and dim-sightedness. Man, that sounds like the side effects list for other medications i've heard about <laughs> yeah lately so again i guess my point here is this though right <clears throat> where we have some plants that are weeds just because they're in the wrong place we also have some some plants that are weeds because there's just nothing good about them mm -hmm. right um and so do, do we want to do we want to come back to the mature thing yeah, I think we can still come back to it and maybe bring it together with Jesus's explanation of the parable. Okay. Anyway, go ahead. Okay. <coughs> um so so back to false teacher. So traditionally this parable is interpreted as as the field being the world, but I I'd like to consider the field being the church. Like that's kind of been my my point here, maybe like the global church. And you know, maybe it doesn't matter cuz the analogy is the same. But like I said, mm -hmm. The takeaway here is that there are weeds growing up alongside our wheat. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's interesting, like, we just discussed this idea of annual ryegrass toxicity and how it can be deleterious to, like, livestock, sheep in particular, you know? And so, I don't know, is there a way to segue? I mean, he's the shepherd, we're sheep. Well, sure, yeah. You I think that, that what we're seeing is that Jesus's parable is a lot meatier than what we recognized mm -hmm. because you and I having, having not grown up as agrarian or in an agrarian place, like we both grew up in town slash city, mm -hmm. we were cut off from experiences, conversations, kinds of work that would have helped us understand this parable Yeah, in a closer way to the way that the people who heard it from Jesus would have understood it, mm -hmm. you know? So like we, ha we had insufficient background knowledge to fully appreciate th the wisdom that Jesus is offering here. Right. 
And I mean, it's like, again, it's almost like blending the, these two biblical concepts where if an enemy sows in your field this this weed and it's fed to your sheep, like it, it's it's going to it, it's going to cause them to be disoriented. Oh, that's yes. You know, that that's exactly what it seems like it means. Yeah. And so I guess maybe segueing a little further, we talk about this idea of sheep and wolves and sheep's clothing. Um, like that's, that's concerning, but I guess like, and, and you know, I guess like, like I'm concerned with people's peers, right? Cause like, uh, a wolf in sheep's clothing. I mean, that's, that's kind of, I guess that's kind of what I've envisioned there, right? Like it's, it's a wolf trying to look like a sheep. But like when we we look at this parable and the idea of an enemy sowing the field, like right, like rye is the devil, right? An mm-hmm. enemy, rye is the devil, and so, well, so the it's in the in the explanation that Jesus offers, rye wouldn't be the devil; the devil would be the enemy, and the the children of the devil. Uh, this what does he say? The weeds are the sons of the evil one. That that's how, that's how he says it. And the enemy who sows them is the devil right i mean i guess i'm not saying that that rye is the devil per se he's a product of the devil right Right. and and so the 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 weeds or like the rye whichever you you want to call it like when ricky when when bobby boucher's mom says that foosball is the devil she doesn't mean that (laughs) you know right yeah but my point is this is and it's basically what you're saying and so what we're talking about here this isn't a wolf in sheep's clothing this is a wolf in shepherd's clothing Okay. Or perhaps even a wolf driving a planter, right? Like that's mm-hmm. that's what we're talking about here. This is this is Satan planting crops in amongst in within is planting seeds within the church that are intended to grow up and for most of the time in a lot of ways look like the rest of us until they don't all of a sudden. So the and wolf it's too late. The wolf thinks, "Man, I would really like to eat some sheep." Mhm. But it's really hard to, you know, go to the trouble of chasing sheep down because the sheep, you know, they they are kind of stupid on the one hand, but, you know, they, I just, I'm not always successful. It would be way easier to catch the sheep if they were drunk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause and then so what, he, c- he goes out and sows tares among the wheat mm-hmm. to, yes, make the sheep capture a little bit easier. Well, and again, if, if he does that and he's dressed like the shepherd, let's say, yeah, because again, I I guess where mine goes, my mind, my mind goes with this is, uh, you know, this video we've talked about before where you will see these progressive pastors, uh, isogeting, you know, in front of congregations in liturgical garb, Hmm. you know, yeah and so so dare i say a shepherd no yeah you're 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 right you're right that's that's one of the things that's that's happening so at the same time it's like so what do we what do we do about that right i i think that this is also a parable that is because like so like we agree about the problem Mm -hmm. and i would say that that in a 
to a, to a large degree, we don't really know what to do about it, except to talk about it. Sound the alarm. And yeah, yeah, sound the alarm. You know, ha- have some awareness of the situation, and try to point people to the Lord and to His Word as an antidote. You know, a- against the, the the chaos that ensues. One thing I think that people like you and I need to be careful of. So like, I, I, I think that we're right about diagnosing the problem, but I think that, that, that we, those of us who recognize that there are wolves in sheep, sheep's clothing, those of us who recognize <clears throat> that there, there have been weeds sown among the wheat, so to speak, we should not advocate for inquisition. Mm-hmm. I you know because the, the, the Inquisition is an attempt to weed out false teachers, mm-hmm. and that also seems to be be what Jesus is talking about. Like, I'm not saying that you don't deal with false teachers because the rest of the New Testament clearly bears out that you have to deal with false teachers. Um, and, and, and there are even steps prescribed by both Jesus and the apostles for removing people from the fellowship. Mm-hmm. And yet, so, but I, I still think that we need to keep that, that thing in mind that Jesus just says, like for some things you have to wait until the end of the age. Yeah. Well, I'm going to disagree with you, but not. Okay, because I I really I wasn't disagreeing with you. It's just this other point that Jesus makes in addition to the other things. Right. So here's where I'm going to disagree with you, but okay. not. So I think we do need to. There needs to be inquisition. It just doesn't need to be with the false teachers. We need to be. We need to be inquiring with our children, and mm-hmm. asking them questions. I, I guess that's my point. Is like, like so yeah. So what do we do about it? Yes, we can get on here and raise the alarm. Solution to pollution is dilution. Um, and you know, uh, we can sit here and to at- and attend to one another as, as adult Christians. But I think that, you know, as I said before, kind of my concern is this, this upcoming generation. And so I think, you know, this, this can be one of those things where <clears throat> I think I've said this before, you know, you have people be like, yeah, well, marriage is hard. You got to work at it. <laughs> like, okay, go, go on. And like, no, yeah. no, no, that was it. And like, <laughs> You got any techniques or something? And so, you know, maybe maybe that's where, you know, hopefully we can uh, information share, I guess, you know? Yeah. And like I said this the other day where, you know, well, we've talked about this on here and I mentioned it from the pulpit, like ask your kids questions. Ask sure. them if they understand what words mean, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, because if we get in there and start to kind of parse through these things, that we get a better understanding of what they know and don't know. And now by asking them questions, we're answering said tough questions. Yeah. I, I, so I, I guess like what, what I was saying is that before maybe a year or two ago, I don't think that any of us had any concept of what an, uh, what an inquisition might look like right. in you know post Y2K or post 9-11. But I think that we're seeing that now because there are inquisitions. Yeah. And unfortunately, some of those inquisitions are launched by 
people claiming to be Christians. You know, I, I don't I don't think that that we should be so like I would think that we need to recognize false teachers. I think that we need to talk about the situation. I think that we need to try to avoid those errors and other errors. I agree with you. We've got to be talking with our kids, talking about the scriptures, talking about what the words mean. Mm-hmm. Um but in the in the process well, like whatever whatever uh combating false teaching looks like I don't like it doesn't look like the, the kind of stuff that we're seeing as there's kind of a, a purge going on in our society. Right. And so anybody who thinks that quote canceling somebody yeah. is a is a Christian thing. Right. It's not. Right. No, I agree. And so like while like I I don't know that like and I like I don't want to get too lost in the weeds. <laughs> ah man, hot take. Hot take. I don't want to get too lost in the weeds. But there were there have been some false teachers I, I've been looking into lately because they are people that I've previously read and admired. Mm-hmm. And and I I don't say false teacher lightly. Like I don't think that you know a, a Baptist minister is a false teacher by virtue of being a Baptist minister. And you, you you've kind of talked about mm-hmm. other denominations who differ theologically from the churches of Christ in in one way or another. Like I'm not throwing any particular denomination under the bus. Like it's just a a couple of guys who, whose stuff I was reading and it was so horrendously anti Christ. Mm -hmm. It's, it's hard to even wrap my head around it. And I know I'm not being very specific about, uh, what it, what it was. Um, But these people were saying that, that what we need to do is to only pay attention to the words of Christ and we need to like act on the words of Christ solely. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, that sounds kind of good until you start reading their blog and it's full of, I, I don't know, t- turn to any list of sins in the Bible. Yeah. And it was like celebrating like half mm-hmm. of those lists. Right. Openly mm-hmm. as if, this is not simply what Christ is okay with, but what Christ is celebrating also. Right. It's like, no, no, that that's not, that's not how it works. So I completely disagree with them. Mm-hmm. Like everything on this website was, was really shocking. Yeah. But I don't want them to be canceled from social media. Right. I don't want them to be spied on by the FBI. Yeah. I don't want them to be, brought before courts i'm not going to go to their church i'm not going to buy their books right i'm not going to do anything like like that but like i don't want any of their constitutional rights infringed upon because they're false teachers yeah and i i I do believe that that what they're doing is leading people astray but misinformation if you will tons of misinformation i mean mm. they can believe whatever they please but like just don't entangle the name of christ yeah in it but but th- i think that, that that like that's what we're talking about with what jesus said about like i don't want them uprooted right i just don't want to eat what they've got to offer yeah like i don't want to ingest it i don't want it to be inside of me and producing the effect that you know darnell would have on a sheep well and i think some of this goes back to we talked about previous weeks about freedom where like you're saying, if somebody has an idea that you don't agree with, 
if they are misinforming people, if they are saying things that, that you don't agree with and you don't like and you think are harmful, then you say better things. Yeah. You know? Also live better things too. Absolutely. There's a, I think I've mentioned it before. There's a book that a friend let me borrow uh, several weeks back. I, I need to pick it up again and finish it. It's called, we don't say great things. We live them. Mm. And it's it. Justin Martyr is half of it. Uh, a letter that he wrote to the, the Roman emperor at the time, whose yeah. name I don't recall. And then the other half is this other very early Christian maybe a Christian lawyer who, who was just writing about uh, the faith. Yeah. And so th- those two particular, I, I guess, letters were put together into this volume called We Don't Speak Great Things, We Live Them. Hmm. So I don't know. I might have to yeah. pass that pass that your way too. It's it's fascinating. First century. No, sorry. Uh, early second century. Okay, so. Again, I feel like I kind of beat the dead horse on this, right? Like, I'm intentionally not giving a lot of detail on deconstruction. Uh, you know, I would like ta- you're not giving detail about the kinds of false teaching that you're talking about. Right. Like we, yeah. we've talked about this before. Uh, and there's a lot of folks out there that are like talking about these things daily. Frankly, I'll, I'll name a few Alyssa Childers, John Cooper, Mike Winger, Sean McDonald, McDowell, um, Jonathan Pajot. Yep. So, um, so man, like seek those, I, I would hope people like kind of said before, like we can't get into the details of everything on, on all things all the time. And so hopefully we can, uh, discuss some, some, uh, I guess larger concepts and, and people will do some digging. So I think some of the stuff bears repeating. We're going to revisit some scriptures we've been to in the past. Why don't you do second Corinthians 11, second Corinthians 11. Sure. Um, it's, I got one through 15 is what I wrote down. Really what I want to read is four and then 12 through the end, 12 through 15. Four, then 12 through 15. Okay. Yeah. And then I'm, I'm going to be in second Timothy. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. And then you said 12 through the end. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. 15. Yeah. I got it. And I will keep on doing what I am doing in order to cut to the ground, in order to cut the ground from under those who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things they boast about. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It's not surprising, then, if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. So, so we've we've talked about this in the past. Uh, again, there are folks out there that are teaching a Jesus other than the Jesus we know, and they are they are masquerading as uh, you know apostles. And uh, what what did it say there? Man, hold on. <laughs> I had a good good quote there. For such people are false apostles, deceitful works, masquerading as apostles, and no wonder. Okay, so, you know, they are, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> they are, they're water masquerading as milk. Or, no, wait, no, wait, hold on. I'm trying to quote, I'm trying to quote Ron Swanson, skim milk. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
Oh yeah, well, yo, shoot. What, what does he say? He talks about how he hates lying. That's why he hates skim milk because lying is water. That's lying about being milk. The only thing I hate worse than lying is skim milk <laughs> because it's water pretending to be milk yeah. or lying about being milk. There we go. Something like that. And so yeah, so again, as I said before, people masquerading as apostles again, clergy and liturgical garb. So we've, we've read that before. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5 says, In the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of this appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from sin, from the truth, and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of the ministry. And so, I, I mean, I guess we talked about, like, what? so what do we do about it? I think those are some, that's some good advice mm -hmm. there. Um, <clears throat> I think, uh, you know, I guess, what, what do you think about that, though, this idea of rebuking? Because it, like we we aren't calling for inquisition, right? But there is room for rebuke. Um, I would say yes. particularly in the church, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, that's it's it's not it's not easy. It's tricky. And I've I have been rebuked. I have been rebuked rightly, and I have been rebuked wrongly. Right. Um. And you know, in both situations, I knew it. Like both both of the situations that immediately come to mind when I was rebuked, mm -hmm. I knew immediately that the one was a righteous rebuke. Yeah. And I knew immediately that the other one was an unrighteous rebuke. Yeah. That's not to say that it's it's necessarily like that always and everywhere. Sometimes it might take some consideration and prayer, but mm -hmm. that that's just been my uh, my experience. Yeah. Um. And I have also been involved in rebuking, and I've got one situation at the front of my mind, and it seemed like it initially went well. But man, like that—that—that that, that was. If you want to talk about fear and trembling, yeah, man, that was a fear and trembling one because I don't usually seek out conflict. Yeah, and I just didn't see any way around this one. Well, th there there was another one too, and I guess in in both situations. It n neither one of them ended like I like I hoped that they would. Um, but you know, if we talk about false teachers, for the most part, you and I aren't personally connected to them. Yeah, like we're not in their congregation. They're not right. Our ministers. We aren't their ministers. Like the the ones that you know we're sort of thinking about here. Um, I, I have actually <coughs> sent an email or two to <coughs> brothers in Christ. I, I hope brothers in Christ Yeah. about things that I, I've seen on, on social media. Yeah. Uh, one in particular, a, a pretty famous fellow. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I sent him an email, you know, where I tried to be both. I don't know. Like I tried to be kind, but also forthright. Right. And I sent it knowing that I wasn't going to hear anything back. Right. 
and I didn't hear anything back. Mm-hmm. I mean, I sort of hoped. One thing I won't do, though, I won't rebuke on social media. Yeah. Like You know, like on a, you know, if somebody posts something, I'm not going to post a rebuke as a response. Well, and, and again, some of that, too, is I wonder, like, rebuke, what does that mean? Because when I think of Matthew 18, it says, if your brother sins against you, go and point out their fault <laughs> just between the two of you. If they listen to you and... Right, you, and so a news feed is not just between the two of you. Right. But it's, and it says, if they listen to you, you've won them over. Like mm-hmm. we're doing with this, this with the intent of winning them over. And yeah, so, absolutely. So we, we should be trying to restore them gently. I believe it says that somewhere else. Yes. Right. Uh, Paul says that in either first or second Corinthians. And it was in, in reference to sexual sin. Right. And so you're not supposed to be having this gotcha moment, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So it says here, for the time will come when people not put up with sound doctrine. I guess when it all comes down to it, kind of wrapping this up, I, I would like to suggest that that time might be a few minutes after your kids leave home, going back to this this kind of focus on the youth. Um, and, and again, we see this idea of the itching ears. Like, man, like I, you know, I talked about sensual desires uh, on here before, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, so so really all those senses can itch for the things of the world. And so, uh, it really itches just shorthand for bodily desire. Right. And so, and again, this, this, uh, this, this, uh, you know, this creeping, this, the, the, the presence of weeds in our wheat, like it's, it's incipient, like it grows. It it just kind of has grown slowly over time. And so these things could be developing and happening, uh, in our in our church and our young people, and we don't even realize it. And so, I guess I would challenge people at home. Like, again, this this is kind of goes into a lot of the things we talked before talked about before. Like, are you only playing church, or do your children see Christ manifested during the during during the week? You know, going back to our our like our weed analogy. Like, do we have deep roots in our faith and in the church? Do our kids? Or are they just here because we make them come? Because again, this could turn around and bite us when again they have these tough questions that aren't, aren't getting answered. So again, a verse we've heard before, James one, two through four, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be may be mature, complete, not lacking anything. And so, I mean, I don't know. You think about the average teen in the United States in 2021. Like, I'm not saying that there aren't hardships in the lives of of some young people across the world. But generally speaking, like, what are the trials? It's mostly a cushy nerf life. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. <laughs> it, I mean, it, it, it really is. And, and uh, man, it's like, I mean, I'm not that old. But even just some of the comforts that my own children have. Like I are just things I didn't have. Like like things things are just like air conditioning. Well, yeah, I mean things, I didn't have air conditioning. Things are literally getting more and more convenient and more and more comfortable. And so, what are the trials? Like the, there 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 aren't any, or there aren't enough. And if we aren't if if our kids are not experiencing trials, then they're not. We're not testing their faith, and we're not. And, and tri- trials are coming. Like, even if things were going swimmingly in our country, like, trials are coming because they're getting older. Right. And there may be reasons that trials are coming more than just the 
the the trials of you know maturing and and facing more responsibility well my point is is you're not going to all of a sudden be good at handling trials if you haven't handled trials before yeah yeah exactly right and so again points we've made before like man like we need to create some hardship maybe both physical we've talked about that before but at the very least well not at the very least definitely physical hardships people kids need to do without some stuff <laughs> but and maybe they should do some stuff to get stuff absolutely but then like we have to challenge their thinking yeah and and you know what the things that they think are right and then also like find out what they don't know that they that they need to know like we have to challenge them and i mean like, like let's face it they're not going to want to do it that's what makes the challenge <laughs> that's what makes the challenge because again in doing that we're going to make them mature and complete um you have any final thoughts well one of the things that you read about darnell is that it doesn't really show up it or its differences aren't manifested until it's mature mm mm-hmm. mhm and that's something that we very much need to think about, especially regarding kids. Yeah. Train a child up in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart far from it. So it seems that that parable, or that proverb, and I guess that's what, uh, Proverbs 3 something. I don't remember. Train a child up in the way he should go. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that that proverb seems to indicate that it's when a child is mature has matured mm-hmm. and maybe is, you know, kind of a ways, a ways down the road past the point of, of coming to maturity that you really see h- how well you did. Yeah. So on the one hand that that's a, that's an admonishment for anyone who's, who's not really, being intentional with with his or her children you you need to be but it's an encouragement for those who are because sometimes those of us who really are trying to pour into our kids in in a righteous way we don't see all the things that we think that we ought to see when we think we ought to see them yeah it's like well okay keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, keep working. You don't grow weary in doing good because you might not see the results until later. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing, right? Like 18 years old is kind of this arbitrary finish line. In a lot of people's minds, but it's not the finish line. Like that's, that's the beginning. Really? You might see indicators along the way, but that's when it really starts, right? That's when their freedom begins. It's very arbitrary. And, and I will say, and I, I don't I don't I haven't heard anybody in the church talk about this at all. But maybe this goes along with the false teacher thing a bit, and then uh, therefore along with the whole conversation that we're having. You mentioned prominent Christians, especially Christian artists, musicians predominantly, who have you know quote left the faith. They're they you know they got woke or they're like hopeful agnostics or whatever. Mm-hmm maybe it was a bad idea that they were on the stage as these like proponents of Christ or supposed to be these examples of yeah. Christ yep. like 16, yeah. 17, 18. 
when they when they didn't have it fi- figured out and then probably in all sorts of situations with very little um guidance you know if they're out on the road speaking or mm-hmm. you know playing music or, or whatever so I, I heard about like josh harris for example the, the i kiss dating goodbye mm-hmm. fellow and you know he the, the, like the first i don't know the first thing that came out was that he was he was getting a divorce and then and and to read the thing that he put out about it it's like man like this doesn't sound this doesn't sound like what a christian should say about the, a covenant relationship mm-hmm. this this is this is rough yeah and then a while later i don't know if it was a few months or a year or two years or something like came out as a as an atheist yeah or at least that he he did he didn't consider himself a christian anymore and so then i like i i really got got to thinking about that like i meditated on that on that quite a bit because like i read his books when i was a teenager yeah and you know in in, in my early 20s and man that like that it so it didn't shake me but it deeply troubled me if, if that if that makes sense yeah like it didn't make me question my faith mm-hmm. like not a bit but it did cause me to question the situation that he that he was put in. Yeah. And here's why. Like I knew that he he was he was on these book tours very very young speaking at, you know, mega Christian conferences. I'm sure having, mm-hmm. you know, Christian girls just kind of throw themselves at him whether it's like I don't know, I don't know how overt it was, but you know, you get the picture. Like he was a rock star. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Jesus didn't start his ministry till he was like 30. That's a great point. Now, I'm not saying that we should look down on those who are young. Yeah. But by the way, we, like, we like, talked we, about like, the Davids and the Esters. And right. right. Yeah. Well, I doubt that Timothy was 12. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I know Josh Harris wasn't 12. But I also sort of doubt that Timothy was 18. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but. And so, and so that that also doesn't mean that thirty is a magic number. Yeah. But if the Son of God, the sinless Son of God, wasn't ready for ministry until he was thirty, yeah. Why in the world would we be expecting fourteen-year-olds to like win the world for Christ or whatever? Right. Or you know, like tri- like start a revival in in their schools. Yeah. Which, by the way, like that can happen. Like I'm not saying that it can't. I'm not saying that such a thing would. Net would be like bad or we should always and everywhere doubt it. Mm-hmm. I, I'm talking about like the difference between expectation and eventuality. Right. Like why, why would you put that load on a kid? And I know that I went to youth rallies and conferences and seminars and yada, yada, yada that expected like the teenagers to be like changing the world for Christ. Yeah. Well, if teenager Jesus didn't change the world for Christ, huh? like yeah. why in the world would we, like, and I know I know that like teenagers can can be filled with the Holy Spirit. So again, like I'm I'm not like discounting the the possibility in a particular situation. Right, but the exception is not there for the rule. Right, and I'm talking about like like the the way that we formulate our expectations mm-hmm. of people and and of young people because like what we're what we're seeing is that th- these previously famous and now infamous now former christians yeah it's like well maybe the problem is not the bible maybe the problem is not god maybe it's that there were some older people 
making money off of them, who found it very convenient that these young people who were saying the stuff that they thought that other people might want to promote were ha- they were saying it. Mm-hmm. Or I mean, and so so that's that's like a problem on the financial end. Like m- maybe maybe that's that's a big problem is trying to profit off of the the influential uh, off of the influence of young charismatic talented people whether they be writers musicians speakers what have you but what if everybody had the best intentions in the situation which i strongly doubt knowing the little bit that i do about the book industry and about the music industry isn't the road to hell paved with those the road to hell is paved with good intentions the bible doesn't say that but i don't know it's probably shakespeare or something (laughs) it's still pretty decent but let's say that that all of the because you know that like Josh Harris wasn't self-publishing, mm-hmm. you know that there were older adults who were yeah. orchestrating the situation, yeah. and it could have been again. He, he, here's the the good intentions part. Maybe it was hey we're looking around at kids and we're really concerned with like serial dating, leading to promiscuity, leading to like unwed pregnancies and and you know immorality. Yeah, like there's a problem with immorality in the church, like mm-hmm. sexual, de- whatever. Th- that is a problem. Right. It's like, well, they're not going to listen to us, old fuddy-duddies. Hmm. Bunch of dinosaurs, you know, they're not going to listen to us. Right. So what we need, wouldn't it be great if there were a teenager who who started saying the things that we wish that they would listen to us say? Hmm. It's like, well, I'm sorry, don't send a teenager to do your job for you. Yeah. I mean, in essence, he became comes the sacrificial lamb in that absolutely for that cause. And in the process, there might be a whole lot more sacrificial lambs yeah. because maybe the teenager, even if he might have been right about A, B, and C, like didn't have sufficient wisdom to hmm. really, uh, or like the, the discernment necessary to live it consistently. And so, like, think about the pressure. Of maybe we could call it the Biles effect. <laughs> yeah, is that is that sufficiently current? Oh man, too soon. <laughs> I have maybe. I just like you know. I sometimes it's hard to pay attention, and I guess we celebrate quitting now. Well, I mean, clearly, yeah, clearly. I mean, this is not the first time we've celebrated quitting. Mm-hmm. Josh Harris was celebrated for quitting, right? But think about the pressure of of being out in front and, 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 and saying all of these. And I think that Josh Harris said a lot of true things. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm not like some sort of like disciple or like proponent or something. Like I know that I was challenged by his books, I think in a positive way, but, um, so, so he, he's, he's out in the front of the situation. Well, they like don't telling people how they ought to live. And he's like, you know, 21, he's telling people how to live. And you know, he, like the book deal turns into another book deal, conferences, seminars, eventually like being on a like pastoral staff. Mm-hmm. And so from a very early age, like, so maybe, maybe he had questions and, and they were just, you know, and there were cracks in the foundation and more and more and more kept getting built up on it instead of like saying, okay, well let's, let's deal with the cracks in the foundation and, yeah. and maybe not try to turn this thing into a show place right now. Yeah. So anyway, I, I guess that's I, you were saying a lot earlier. <laughs> like I just said a lot, but I, I'm just saying like like maybe we need to be um, careful about the pressures 
that we put on the young. And, you know, you talked about maybe they're leaving the church because they're not getting their, like their questions answered. Like, you know, yeah, maybe instead of, I don't know, trying to produce the next Josh Harris, we ought to be perfectly content to shepherding our children and, 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 and others that we have influence with in ways that, that, yeah, I don't know, is smaller, quieter, but maybe more lasting. Well, and it, like with the, a lot of these artists, again, it, it's almost like it was a performance, you know, and some of the ones that I've, I've, listened, it was, and how could it be anything else? Right. And the ones that have, that have left the church. I mean, I listened to one, he was talking about like this, this was a guy, he's from uh, the band Hawk Nelson and, he, and he's been on several podcasts talking about his deconstruction and uh, he's even said, it's like, I read the Bible. He says, I've read the Bible more in the last year than I ever did as, as a person going to church. And it's like, maybe that's the problem, you know? Yeah. Um, okay. So I guess my final kind of in conclusion, um, I just have, I guess, a series of rhetorical questions for our audience because <laughs> obviously they can't answer them. But folks, I mean, do you want your children in church? I would, I would assume the answer is yes. Do you want them in church when they're grown? Again, yes. Do you want them to love the church? Again, yes, we want these things. Do you want them to love Jesus? Yes. And so I think this is yet another example of where this is such a, a perfect quote by both by C.S. Lewis via, <laughs> via Justin. <laughs> if you put first things second, you get neither. neither. Jen there? Sounds good. All right. You know what you got to do. All right. Well, Lord, thank you for uh, just a, another time to get together and talk about your word and uh, about the way, just how we want to, to live it out. So I pray that, Lord, your Holy Spirit would be active in us and among us and, and anybody listening. And, and Lord, I, I pray that that... I don't know, these conversations that we get together to have and that we record and that we make available. Lord, I pray that it would that it would do good. Um, Lord, bless our families and the families of those listening. And I, I pray that you would cause there to be a remnant among us and that, that we'd be a part of your remnants. And uh, Lord, that you would produce fruit in our lives. Help us to not grow weary in doing good and as we wait for Jesus to come back. And I pray that'll be soon. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay. Okay. Only time we gotta tell you don't say funny things until we're recording. I, I guess you need to tell me at least one more time. So, hey Byron, you remember that time that you gave a sermon about the weed and the weeds? Yes, Justin. Yeah, it was really awesome. <laughs>